Welcome back to another episode of Speaking to Stacy, the podcast sharing practical advice for an action-driven lifestyle. My name is Stacy Liddell, and today I had the opportunity to speak with a former rugby league player turned personal trainer and keynote speaker. Before I introduce my guest, I want to say a big thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen in and learn something new. If you find this conversation entertaining or useful, please could I ask you to share the episode with one other person. You never know the positive impact this conversation could have on someone you care about. My guest today is David Lindsay. David has had an incredible and colorful sporting journey. He has played rugby league, stepped inside the boxing ring and cage for fights, and he has even dabbled in arm wrestling. David's unique life experience makes him the perfect guest for the final episode of Speaking to Stacy. I like the way he's able to repackage the lesson he has learned in sports and apply them to business and life in general. Three key benefits for the listeners today are, number one, why hard work often outdoes talent, number two, the power of ritual and organizational culture in sports, business, and family life, and three, how to avoid physical and mental burnout. Please stick around until the end of the show if you want to hear David talk about self-sabotage and slipping back into bad habits. So without further ado, I present to you David Lindsay. Right, we're back to the show, speaking to Stacy, and I've got David Lindsay with me today. David, as my guest, sorry, as my audience will know, the guest always introduces themselves and you can share your background, uh, what's relevant to you. You can jump right in and let everyone know uh, what it is that you've accomplished and what you're doing now. And then we can jump into the, the meat of the, of, the, of the podcast. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Stacey, for having me on board. I'll, I'll start off from my, my childhood. I'm David Lindsay. I live in Sydney, Australia, born and raised there. I've always been athletic throughout my childhood and into my young adult life and into my, into my adult life. I played rugby league for South Sydney in the lower professional levels. I suffered two knee reconstructions playing football, which, you know, after the first one, I always said, if it happens again, that's going to be it. So at the ripe old age of 21, I had my second knee reconstruction, which put me out of play. I've, as we spoke before, I'm not the biggest bloke going around. I stand about five foot nine. But when I was playing rugby league, I got up to 95 kilos playing hooker in, a, in amongst all these big bopping guys. I learned so many lessons from pra- playing rugby league. But from that, I'm a competitive guy. And a bloke came up to me and being so big for my size, a guy came up and asked me about arm wrestling. And he goes, do you do arm wrestling? And I go, well, not really with mates muck around. And he asked me how I go. And I go, when we do it for drinks, they buy me the drinks. I don't have to worry about buying them drinks. So he gave me his card and I got into arm wrestling. And it's all about the competition. And that's served me after sports as well into life. But I was on my way to go in some professional arm wrestling tournaments over in the States. Me and my girlfriend at the time, which luckily for me, she hung around. She's my wife now. We were in Corfu, Greece, and I snapped my arm doing arm wrestling. So going from being an athlete, being a trainer, I worked in gyms, I managed gyms, I was a personal trainer, I went to not being able to do any of that because when I came back to Australia, my arm went paralyzed 
and I thought my world was taken out from underneath me. Who's going to want a trainer that can't use their arm? Who's going to want an athlete that can't use their arm? Everything in life that I worked up to at that point was gone. And so it was about two or three days, I got a nerve conduction study where they put needles in your arm and the lady actually turned around and said, looks like the nerves are shriveled up and dying. I'm sorry, David. And yeah, I went down in a spiral. Luckily, I've got a great support network around me. And it was about three days where I was down in the dumps. And then I just snapped out of it. And I thought, I've overcome all these obstacles in my life. What's a broken bone going to do? How can I let that stop me? And eventually, after four months, I got movement back. And I was so excited with that. But then my mind started going, what can I do now? And I remember seeing a Kung Fu school when I did my Sir 3, Sir 4 personal training. And I went, man, let the competitive juices are still flowing. So I went and I, I went up and I joined the Kung Fu school. Like with everyone, you start off as a white belt. So I did Kung Fu, Jiu Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, kickboxing, Muay Thai and wrestling. And the passion for competition came back and I eventually got into MMA or cage fighting, if people aren't sure what that is, and also had a few professional fights with that and a couple of professional boxing matches. And really, that's another pivotal point was meeting my wrestling coach because he goes, David, you've got so much more to offer than just fighting. You've got so much more to offer than just your sports. He goes, look at the boys around you. And at this point, I was 65, 70 kilos. That was a fight. Um, divisions that I was fighting in but these guys were 100 110 115 kilos and he goes David you're you're the boss you're the leader here besides coach and I, I looked at it and I go yeah they're hanging off every word I say so what I did was I transitioned again from fighting and I saw gaps in in the corporate world and I thought why can't I take the lessons from sports and bring that into the corporate world. And that's where my five steps towards improved vitality keynote speaking came from. And it's really, it's enabled me to go up and down the East Coast of Australia. I was in the process of going full-time with speaking in 2020. And then it hit, it hit the world. COVID hit everything and it all got flipped upside down. But there's also benefits to come from that. Like, I wouldn't be speaking to you if it wasn't for the situation of COVID. I've been able to speak around the world, all from the comfort of my home in Sydney, Australia, and continue to do so. I love doing face-to-face conferences, but this is a great second second place. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Wow, that is a very, very colourful past. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to speak about. <laughs> plenty of lessons, <laughs> Plenty of lessons from that. Yeah, I was interested to know your insights. What is the difference, do you think, with someone like yourself, where you turned around after a few days of feeling down in the dumps after breaking your arm and sort of came back with a positive mindset versus the person who breaks their arm and gives up? I mean, obviously, mm. from your perspective, you, you're living from, from the one side of the coin, do you have, in, in your experiences, your life experiences and the people that you've spoken to and the experiences that you've had, 
do you under, is there an understanding that you have why some people give up and why some people don't? Yeah, I, I think it's because of my childhood, being a small guy, and I've got an older brother and a younger sister, and because my older brother is like 18 months older than me, we always got put in the same team. So I was always playing against people that were bigger, that were faster, that were stronger. But yeah, I was always competitive. So it's that mindset that it doesn't matter if they're bigger than me. I'm still going to beat them. It doesn't matter if I've got an injury. I'm still going to beat it. So it's that mindset. And my wife as well, she had a terrible, terrible accident back when our daughter was seven months old and she shattered her leg. She had a motorbike accident and people were asking us basically that exact question. How can you be so happy like when all this has happened? And you do have your up times, you do have your down times. But you just can't stay in those down times. It comes to mindset. Like I mentioned with COVID the last two or three years, you can sit in a corner and you can cry about what's going on or you can get up, look at what's facing you and deal with it. You know, we're, we're all in the same boat with that. Everywhere got locked down. So it's the same as with my arm. Yes, I could have sat there and cried, poor me, poor me. But really, the rest of the world keeps moving forward. I have to keep running to not just keep up with them, but I'm there to get in front. I'm there to get in front and stay in front as well. So it's that mindset that I've had ever since I was a kid. But the great thing with, with the mindset is it can be trained. It can with neuroplasticity, with the growth mindset compared to the fixed mindset. There's studies that show that you, you can change. You can learn new things. You can change your mindset. And that's what it all comes down to. Got you, 100%. I was just interested to get your perspective because I'm someone who, like you, believes that you can change your mindset and that mm. you can decide to have a fixed mindset or you can decide to have a growth mindset. 100%. And, yeah, and it's not always it's not always easy. And obviously some people have extremely difficult situations to deal with. The easy way out is often to give up and not to try pushing through. Um, so I do understand why some people can't make it, whereas other people do. Yeah, I mean, I just, from a personal point of view, as my listeners will know, I've had a few ups and downs in my life. It's funny that you mentioned the fact that you are, you said you're the middle child, right? Yeah, yeah, middle child, yeah. Yeah, I am as well. And a collective middle child. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm also, as my as my friends will know, you know, I'm a small guy in terms of height. You said you're 5'9". I'm about 5'7". Now that I've, like, whenever I reflect back on my life, I did have a lot of, like, sort of teasing about my height and about my size growing up. But mm. my parents were very much of the the whole sticks and stones mindset. Like, sticks and stones can break my bones, mm. but words can never harm me. That's sort of like old school philosophy. Yeah. Nowadays, I think yeah. that that's kind of, like, frowned upon. Um, <laughs> so I think for me my disadvantages hardened my resilience and my mindset yes. the same way that it seems yours did, which is very interesting. Mm. Yeah, very much so because, yeah, that, sorry, and going along those lines, that's when you learn more about yourself. If it's all sunshines and rainbows, you're just going to coast through life, whereas you learn your grittiness. You learn what you're capable of when you go through the tough times. And really, that's the times when you grow more. And for me as well, I'll do my best to live my life with no regrets. I don't want to be sitting back 
when I'm 70, 80 years old going, you know, if, if only I had have done this because I'd much rather put myself out there, like speaking to you almost on the other side of the world, speaking to your audience from Sydney, Australia. You know, it's if you had have asked me that when I was 12 or 13 years old, I was super shy back then. But now I know that, you know, you have to get uncomfortable. But then, and that's with wrestling. Wrestling is out of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And I take so many life lessons from wrestling into the real world, into my working life, into my family life. That's great insight. I think that a couple of the things there that you said that I can kind of riff off on is the whole grittiness aspect. I was, um, I can't remember which, if it was a book or a, a journal article I was reading about this, I'm sure you're aware of this as well. There is very little difference between people who have IQs of 110 and higher in terms of their probability of getting success in mm. life. The difference between the successful person with uh, what is called a high IQ tends to be grittiness, persistence and hard yeah. work gets you much further than just natural raw talent does. So I think that's mm. coming through in your message as well is that you have to be willing to pick yourself up regardless of what happens to you in life. Um, that's something that I preach yeah. from this channel or from this, this podcast. And I'm glad that your message resonates with that as well. Yeah, for sure. And one thing that you said there is talent. And for me as well, talent, most people think that it's a gift. You go, oh, they're so talented. But I've seen so many kids with talent but not putting the hard work. I, I was never talented. But what I do was I do bodyweight exercises before I got my first weight set. I do push-ups, sit-ups, squats until I'd be sick because I love doing it. But then that builds that resilience. Where And when it gets to the point of, you know, the tipping point when you become a professional athlete or not, the kids that have the talent but yet haven't put themselves through the toughness of training, through the toughness of having to really grind it out, they get forgotten about. So quite often, you know, talent is actually, it can very much be a bad thing because you can't magically flick that switch and go, okay, you're talented, now you're going to work hard. And you hear the stories with people like Michael Jordan where he got dropped from the basketball team. So not talented, but the hardest worker in the joint. And you hear that time and time again. Brady with gridiron, not the best thrower, but the best tactician, the hardest worker in the room. Yeah, 100%. Those stories pop up time and time again because I think mm. there's a hard truth there that is inescapable. Yeah. It's just, a, I think, like one of those laws of nature that if you're going to put in the hard work, it's going to pay back um, mm. in some shape or form. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great thing as well because that is a great way to weed out the people that really, really want it as opposed to people that think it's, it's just a hobby and, yeah, they can all turn up when I want. It, it's a great leveling pitch. Yeah, and it's something that we spoke about a little bit beforehand, talking about sports, um, especially combat sports. You can't really hide on the sports mm. field. Once you're out there, there's no yeah. there's no hiding. There's no escaping from the, from the critics. And if you don't put in the hard work consistently, eventually you're going to get caught out and replaced. Um, it's so competitive at that level yeah. that there's you know ten, twenty, thirty guys just as 
good as you, um, waiting mm. to take your place. Yeah, all for that one position. It's something that you mentioned was that um, that hard work and grit and the difference between the talented guy and the untalented guy. It's very interesting that I've I've had this conversation with rugby players. A lot of them say towards the back end of their careers, they really started taking their training and their dieting and their off-the-field life a lot more seriously. Yeah. Recovery. A couple of them said the sort of the last two, three years of their career were incredible what what they were able to achieve with their bodies and on the field because of that sort of that marginal gain. Each training session, they push themselves a little harder. And they just say, oh, I wish in my 20s I had I just <laughs> had that like foresight and focus. And but yeah. I, I, I always I always bounce back to them and I say, look, but remember how many 20 somethings can have that aha moment and do it at that level when they're 20. There's also yeah. a maturity factor that comes in that when you're a bit older, I think you do start to see see life a bit differently and start mm, respecting things that you that you didn't see when you were in your 20s. Because mm. and going along with the rugby theme as well, because I talk about the All Blacks quite a bit with the culture that they've built in there, with the haka, with all that sort of stuff, all their pre-game rituals, and even what they do after the game. Where you know a lot of them with a Polynesian background, their parents are cleaners. So I one thing that I thought was really good was, and this is a little bit off topic, but I'll go back to it. That the players, the big All Blacks they clean up the dressing room after them because that's someone's mum that's coming in. So they they believe that that's their mum. So they go in and they clean up after themselves, just the respect. But what, what I was going off what is I love um, Richie McCaw and he talks about, you know, constantly at, at 34, 35, he could have just rested on the name Richie McCaw, but he, he really wanted to leave a legacy and that was the name of his book. And he said, so still turning up on the training paddock, doing the right thing, turning up to the games, doing the right thing, turning up to the recovery sessions, the diet, the nutrition, the sleep, all of that, doing that right to improve that 1%, to raise the bar, but also to help everyone else raise the bar, to raise the value of the team through the roof. And someone like yeah. Rich McCourt, they can just rest on their name because he's done the hard yards for the eight, nine, ten years previous, but he wants to keep moving forward, keep getting better and leading the way for the other players. What makes that even more powerful, as you as you alluded to there, is because he was the leader of that team, it's leading by example. So the guys mm. around him realize, shit, this is the expectation of this team. And if you don't yeah. buy into that expectation, you're out of there. I can imagine 100%. it's quite ruthless. Yeah, and because also, and that's where it's, Items like that you can bring across to the corporate world where with the corporate culture, it doesn't really, like the bosses, there's a few of them smattered up, but the senior players, the middle management, the senior staff, they're the ones that really drive it forward because they have more of an impact with everyone that's there. So what can they do to raise the bar? What can they do to raise the standards and everyone else will follow as well? So, and with that, we spoke briefly before about in rugby union, rugby league, in any sports team, you have different positions which require different skill sets and different mindsets. And it's the exact same in the work. It's the exact same in your family. It's 
so many things are related across from sports into outside of sports, into work life, into, like I said, family life. There's so many lessons there for everyone. David, could you maybe drill down a bit? Uh, that, that was an interesting point that you made about culture from sport into the workplace. Could you, do you mind sort of unpacking that a bit and talking about the importance of culture and what you've seen on the sports field or in the, in the locker room and how that translates more so into the workplace on like on a practical mm. level, if possible? Yeah, a, a thousand percent. Like I said um, earlier, I played for the lower grades in South Sydney and we had a team that it wasn't the best team by any means, but because we'd train so hard, we'd socialise, we'd do all of this stuff together, you know, we had that bond and that bond was unbreakable and we actually won the competition with that team, with players that went on to play for, for Australia, like Braith and Asta was one of them that was in the team. We had quite a few players that went on to play grade, played with Rennie Matua who also played um, in the Australian team. But it was, yeah, that bond that you have. It's the same in workplace. Having that bond with the people that, that you work with, you're willing to do more, spend more time with them. You also have more fun and you're more productive as well if you relate with the people around you. And that goes along with my five steps towards improved vitality. The fourth one is clap. And that means it's all about celebrating. You celebrate the time, effort, and dedication that people put into their craft, whether it's at the workplace, whether they've done something exceptional outside of work, you still want to celebrate that because it's bringing that whole team together. Because once you do that, that's where the magic really happens. It's the same as in family. You get some families that are really tight knit and magic happens, or you get the families that are in disarray and that's where, you know, everything goes up. Is there anything in your experience that informs how to create those deep bonds? I know you said the whole clap, so celebrating each other. Mm. Do you think that is it created from the outset as a organization, as a business organization? Are you trying to hire the people that you think are fitting into your organization? Because it's quite difficult to assess yes. that in like an interview situation. Or are you monitoring them as soon as they come into the business and driving that culture actively so they buy in? I mean, is, mm. what, what is your what is your feeling around actually getting that bond together? Yeah, so you need a bit from column A and you need a bit from column B. And also you need a bit from column C where people need to take personal accountability for their actions. They need to take personal accountability for what's going on. So it's... Yes, in an interview, you get, what, half an hour or an hour to try and sift through people. You want to try and find out their values, their values in alignment with the company. And it's not just with the company, it's with the team that they're going to be working with. What's the what's the power dynamics like there already? And, like, I, I speak to a lot of, a lot of um, leaders of businesses around the world, you know, businesses that are billion-dollar businesses, $500 million businesses, so they're not small fry. And time and time again, it's come back to you want to get the right person for the culture. It is very hard to really flip people around if their values aren't in alignment. So that's where you might have a multi-stage hiring system. But a lot of times as well, you put people on probation because 
at, at the end of the day, if they're not in alignment with the direction that you want to run, they're going to be pulling against. They're not doing themselves. They're doing themselves a disservice. They're doing the company a disservice. They're not going to be happy there. So why would they want to be there anyway? So there's, there's four or five different levels where you, you have the opportunity to go. Yes, you fit. Yes, you fit. Sorry. It's been a good, good run, but you, you, you're not in alignment with our values, which, you know, at the end of the day, our values are part of who we are. So it's so long as everyone's going in the same direction, pulling in that way, the team should go fantastically. Got you. Yeah, that that's, reminds me of an office place that I worked in. The one interesting thing about company culture is it just takes a few, as, they, as the saying goes, you know, a few rotten apples can spoil the whole bunch. Yes. Yeah. Um, it just takes one or two people that aren't pulling in the, r- the right direction to start infecting the others around them and turning them against the whole culture. And 100%. you can lose that culture quite quickly. And it's so hard to build. Yeah. Yes. So that, that's a good point in, in making sure that you establish the right team members in the right positions. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. And, and you have constant reminders as well of what the company values are. And then independently, what the team values are, what you individually, what your values are. Cause in my talk as well, I talk about the power of music, um, the power of posture and stuff like that, you know, to get you pumped up and excited and how you can have that working for you with that positivity. You get a couple of people coming in with the music. They've just got this energy that's exuding from them. And then one becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight. And then you get that tipping point where, where it's the majority. So that's working for you. But as you said, it can also work against you. You can have one negative person, becomes two negative people, becomes four. And then before you know it, that, that ruins all of the hard work that you put in over the last 18 months, two years, five years, 10 years, building up that culture. And I actually saw a, a brilliant post on LinkedIn where it was basically, it doesn't matter how good someone is, if they're not in alignment with a cult, with a culture and they're negative, you want to get rid of them because they, they may be the best in the world, but they're not the best in the world for you. They're not the best in the world for your company or their fellow employees as well. That's a theme that's popped up time and time again on this podcast is that, that idea of alignment in a team, in your family, uh, in your relationships. Mm. You have to have alignment. Otherwise, uh, at the end of the day, something is going to break or something is going to go wrong or someone is going to get mm. hurt, um, depending on the situation. Yeah, I, 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 fully, I fully agree with that alignment principle. Mm. Another thing that you touched on, David, um, was that, that aspect of ritual in teams. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that also kind of goes hand in hand with culture because I think if you have rituals that everyone does together, it builds that closeness, that togetherness, that shared um, group identity in a way. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned a bit about the All Blacks. Is there specific stuff that, that you've taken away from the sports ground, the sports field into the business world of, of using rituals? I think you kind of mentioned mm-hmm. there with, like, with music and with getting people yeah. fired up. Um, what what other examples do you have of of rituals and bringing ritual into the workplace? Yeah, so with that, it's most like I I love using doorways as well because doorway is from it's from outside to in it's from not work to work 
and like I'd, I use door frames and I'd almost like do a bow as I go in and bow as I go out. I think that might also be from my martial arts background as well. And with that, like I said, utilizing music. But then I was um, speaking to some salespeople, what, a week or two ago, and they were going, oh, but we do this, this, and, and they were, you could see that their posture was down. And like I said, when, when I do all this sort of stuff, I, I do it always standing because I'm concentrating on posture because I know that the power that comes through posture, but they, they were sort of all bent down. And I said, okay, let's get up and let's just jump around a little bit. So as a team, let's get up. So you're getting some physical movement going, which instantly breaks their state. And then what I do is I take some stuff from the haka and we do, it's just like a power move. Tony Robbins does it at his seminars as well. I used to do it before fights. I do it before I go on a stage to speak in front of an audience. And I just, again, I, I stand up, I shake around and then I stand tall and then I slap my thighs and then I let them all my, ah, so what I do is I get the sales team to stand up, jump around. They do that. They do their power move. Ah, and then they'd high five each other. And just the shift in power of that simple takes 15 seconds. And then you see them and they're just buzzing. And it's funny because then when they're on the phones or they're doing the door to door sales, you, you know, you get more, more no's than you get yeses. And if they're constantly sitting down with their power down, and no stabs deep. So you're constantly getting stabbed. As opposed to if you're in a strong state, it's a no. Okay, thank you. Bomb. No. Bomb. No. You know that you're just a couple of no's away from a yes. And a yes can change your life. A yes can change your family's life. So knowing what's out there, as opposed to hitting you, hitting you, hitting you, you just, it bounces off you. And that's from one simple thing that takes, like I said, 15 seconds. Easy. Yeah, that's that's so interesting because I've not done a lot of research about this, but I've seen someone like Jordan Peterson, for example, talks about how your posture, if you are hunched over, is a sign of you know you're giving up, you're you're withdrawing, you're pulling away, yeah. you're 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 not confident. Whereas if you stand up with your shoulders back and your chest out, it's a sign of confidence. It's a sign of of power, as you said. And mm. just that physical change drives mindset change. Yeah. Because like, like they say, the emotion is led by motion. So the way that you sit, the way that you stand influences the way that you feel, therefore the way that you act. And I actually talk about that because it's funny. I, I say, you know, I go, you sit slumpy and you feel slumpy. And then it's funny when you look in the audience, how many people go from that slumpy slouch position to sitting <laughs> tall. Because then you walk... Like, and the action that you did as well when you hunched over was your hands naturally come forward mm. to, because you're scared, you're protecting your organs. So that's what that is. Because you don't have the confidence, you, you can protect yourself, you know, if, if I'm up there and I'm brash and everything follows off the suit of that. Like they say, you, you can't hold two opposing views in your mind. So you can't be both happy and sad at the same time. You can't be both powerful and weak. You can't be confident and not confident at the same time. So it's about finding that confidence, finding that power, and having all of that working for you instead of against you. Got you. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I've got a very funny story, actually, about about something like this. So I played a rugby union. In high school, we had a game against a, a team 
that was traditionally known to be very strong. Well, they are traditionally a very good rugby side. This is in high mm. school. Um, so for the listeners that don't know, I played rugby in South Africa and rugby is a massive sport in South Africa. And <laughs> in, in, the, in the Western Cape where I grew up, we have what they call Afrikaans schools. And I'm sure the Australians and the New Zealanders will know all about Afrikaans rugby players. You know, the famous guys like Baki Spuerta <laughs> and uh, Osturant and people like that. So um, we would play against, we were traditionally sort of English speaking schools and we'd go and we'd play against these Afrikaans schools based out in a, a little bit outside of the cities, a little bit more rural. And these guys are always physically much more developed than we were. Dominant. Very, very dominant in the contact. So it was always we'd always have to have a, a very different game planning. We like to, to throw the ball around and sort of tie them out and run circles around. Yeah. And that was our strategy. And so, I mean, my dad swears by this. So they're lining, they line up and run through a tunnel of, of their school. So their school lines up and creates a tunnel for them to run through to, to get them all hyped up. Yes. To get yeah. them all hyped up when they run on the field for our side, our school sits on the stand and waits for us, and we run underneath the rugby poles by ourselves. We come on, and they cheer us on. That's just how, how our school has always done it. And mm. um, obviously, the away side always runs on first. You give them, you give them the, the floor to run first because you're the guest. You show them respect. And mm. as their captain exited the, their human tunnel, he must have caught the foot of one of the the supporters in the tunnel and he tripped and he basically face planted as he ran out of the tunnel and his, and his teammates kind of dodged and had to run around him. And my dad swears that that moment already put them in the wrong mm. headspace. Instead of feeling all pumped up and powerful coming out of that tunnel, that captain felt like an idiot. He'd just fallen in front of yeah. everybody. And we smashed them. We, we, we broke a record against them. Um, no one has broken that record to this day. And it wasn't because they were a bad side or that we were excellent. I think, honestly, so that happened. He tripped. Mm -hmm. And then we, we, we had the kickoff. We kicked off. And that same captain caught the ball. And our front ranker, our prop, smoked him like huge hit. Yeah. And from there, it was just, it was just downhill for them. Um, and I honestly, my dad, my dad swears to this day that it's the consequence of him tripping and then getting smashed off the kickoff that their team just kind of fell apart because they lost, mm. um, they lost confidence in those two moments. Yeah, because especially with it being the captain, the top dog of the team as well, for those yeah, two instances to happen, well then, you know, it's like the, is it the key, keystone, you know, the top of bridges, yeah. you get rid of the keystone yeah. and they collapse. Everything collapses. Yeah, and he was he. If I remember correctly, he was regarded as a very good rugby player uh, amongst the the province, like for the provincial setup. So I think he was yeah. he was seen as a good player. And when when those kind of things happen, yeah, it just it can cascade, as you said. Um, and it didn't help that he, <laughs> he also. I'm not sure if you remember. Do you remember the? I think they're called the F50 Adidas boots. They were like. Very, very shiny. They were like Lumo green. He was wearing Lumo green boots as well. So uh, you can spot, yes, spot him them. from a mile yeah, away. Bright green, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. terrible. So terrible. Couldn't like, miss him. Yeah, just couldn't miss him. And like, yeah, so he couldn't hide because he was like the only guy wearing those uh, like shiny boots. And 
yeah, it was it's just interesting how I don't know if it's true, but I mean, my as I said, my dad swears by it. Like he reckons that that was the shattered yeah. their confidence and just they just broke their team yeah. from the get go. And the mindset, and that that's the where, mindset. So yeah, so much stuff from sports. Like you can, like you said, it's a cascade effect. One, two, three, boom, 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 and then the entire team is broken. It's the same as in in the workplace. It's if you don't have that resilience, and it's one, two, like. It's just like a one, two, com- one, two, three combination in boxing. One, two, three, you, you're out cold because of the mindset. As opposed to you might get hit once, but you know the two and the three is coming, so you can block and roll with it. Again, it's that mindset. It's because you've been there before, because you've gone through, like we mentioned early on, through the tough times. You've learned systems and strategies to deal with with times when they when they go a bit belly up. It really is fascinating how having conversations with people like yourself, how the the closeness of the two worlds of sports and business are actually so similar. Mm. I would love to actually sit down with someone who's from the military and see if there's a crossover between sports and the military. I'm sure there must be. It, it must be. I mean, they, 100% they, there is. Like, oh, I've got that. That's, from... <laughs> that's one of my Sorry favorite for the books. Listeners, I, I'm just holding up a book, um, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willing. Yeah. Like I, I love him, and there's books. so many crossovers from military to sport, military to business. Because um, I've got um, Hal Moore, who's another um, military guy. I've got one of his books on leadership as well. Yeah, there's so many crossovers with with all that sort of stuff. It's you know, it's a nice pattern. They do call the military the teams for a reason, I guess. You know, it's that mm. same analogy with sports. It's a team. And same thing, they have their own unique positions. Like you, you might have four people that are on a cannon, but they don't all do do all the same thing. You get one of them where he lifts it up. You get one of them that loads it. You get one of them that chocks the wheels. So they have to work as a unit because if one doesn't do their job right, well, then the, the shell is going to go off in the completely wrong direction and could potentially hurt your own, your own guys. Yeah, that's fascinating. I wonder if we can transition a bit and talk a little bit about, uh, we've spoken quite extensively about mindset and the importance of mindset. I know that one of the other things that you do is you talk about um, avoiding burnout. And that's also, again, something mm. that is is important in sports as well as in the business place. Because if yeah. you burn out in the, in the sports environment, you might not reach peak performance come, come match day. Um, and yeah. the same thing for the workplace. If you're not, if you're not uh, at your highest level in the workplace and you've got a big project on or something and you burn out and you can't complete the work, you might, I mean, worst case scenario, you lose your job or you lose out on promotions. Or the business might shut down. Or, or, the, or the business might lose out. Yeah, 100%. So is, can you talk a bit about avoiding burnout and, and some of the processes and things that you go about doing to avoid that? Yeah, 100%. And this wasn't set up. This is another book that I'm reading and it's called Sleep. <laughs> Like it wasn't a setup, but because I have to do a lot of research on on sleep, on napping for peak performance, because there's no point in me going out speaking to companies about this and this, yet I don't have any evidence to back me up. So a lot of it is yes, sleeping at night. Like I I don't sleep eight hours. I'll I'll be up early tomorrow. I'll probably get about six hours sleep, but I do have naps during the day. And you'll see a lot of athletes have naps during the day. Whereas people, you know, the corporate people, they're just there at their computer 
four, eight, 10, 12 hours a day in that poor posture. Whereas, you know, and we all have our phones accessible with us 24 7, 365. So, what can we do to, to have that time away? What can we do to prevent that burnout? So, I love putting headphones on, putting on guided meditations for like while I'm at work, I do it for 24, 25 minutes. And it's quite specific with that because I don't want my sleep. I want it to be restful and recovering, but I don't want to go into the REM phase because if you go into the REM phase of sleep and you wake up, that's why you wake up groggy. So you want to have anywhere from 20 to 25 minutes and then you wake up and you're refreshed. And when you sleep at home, most people's rooms are way too warm. You want them to be about... 100%. You know, 17, 18, 19 degrees. That's Celsius. I'm not sure what it is in Fahrenheit, but you want it to be a lot colder because that's what our body naturally does. Our body temperature drops and that's what gets us into that sleep. And like I said, I don't have eight, nine hours sleep because it's not length of sleep that you want either. It's quality of sleep. That's why people can sleep for 10, 11, 12 hours and wake up still feeling tired. So if it was just about length, you think you'd sleep for 15 hours and you'd be jumping out of the box. But people don't do that. So it's about having a lunch break, getting away from the office, getting fresh air, getting your body moving, getting the blood pumping. Like rehydrating, you see that I'm constantly having water while I'm around because as a as a Western society, the majority of us are chronically dehydrated. And that's a simple way to increase your performance, increase your recovery, and increase your output. So it's just by hydrating. But yeah, I, I talk about getting away from work, having a three-day weekend, having a four-day weekend to really recover, using a technique called, it's actually called the Zinganic effect, where people don't nice. know what, what it is, but what it is, soap operas use it all the time on a Friday afternoon they have a car going off the edge of a cliff and, you know, you don't know who's in the car. You don't know if they're going to survive. So it's opened a loop. So you're thinking about it all weekend. You can't do anything about it, but you're not allowing your mind to recover. And then on the Monday, it comes in and closes it down. What you can do at work for this, because I'm sure your listeners have had it where they've come home from work and they've gone, have I answered all the emails? Have I done this? Have I done that? And they can't worry about it until they get back at work. So while they're at home, they're worried about being at work. But while they're at work, they're worried about, I'm not spending enough quality time with my kids. I'm not spending enough quality time with my family, with my wife, husband, whatever it may be. So a simple way that you can close that loop at the end of the workday is you have a checkoff list. Have all important phone calls been answered? Have all important emails been sent out? And even And each team is going to be different. So it can even come down to the fact of is there printer, is there paper in the printer? Is the computer shut down, security on? And then I like to have a lights, camera, keys. So lights are off, security is on, cameras, keys, wallet, phone. Yes, yes, yes. And then as I said, I use a door and bow out because of the martial arts. It's just, okay, you bow out. And then when you go home, you can be holy with your family because you know Everything possible has been done. So it's like where, you know, you might rush out the house to go to the shops and go, did I lock the door? 
did I turn the gas off? Did I do this? You're worried about it while you're shopping, but you can't do anything about it until you get home. And 95% of the time, you have locked the door. You've just done it on automatic pilot. 95% of the time, yes, you have turned the gas off, but you've done it on automatic pilot. So having that checkoff list is a conscious decision that you're doing to close that loop so that when you're at home, you can be at home. So that when you're at work, you can be fully present at work. The principles of David Allen's book, Get Things Done, that goes deep, deep on those on closing those loops. Have you have you read it at all? Have you looked no, through the stuff? And no, I'll, I'll have to read it though because yeah, I saw you nodding along, and because yeah, most people haven't heard of stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, I'll have to get that book and yeah, get yeah. onto it for sure. He's he's like. I might be wrong on this, but I, I think he might be like the grandfather of the modern productivity movement. Um, and his okay. principles basically have informed most of the, the guys, the younger guys now on YouTube that are what they call like productivity hackers and stuff. They draw on basically all of his stuff. And they, I think they've, they've upgraded it. They made some of it better. But yeah, he, yeah. his stuff is incredible. Go, go, you definitely have to read his book and check out his podcasts. Um, yeah, he talks about sure. he, he's got like a whole system where it's capture so everything that comes in he captures it and then um that that opens the loop and then by putting it in a specific place like deal with tomorrow or deal with later today that closes off the loop because your brain knows okay cool i need i'm only getting back to that tomorrow i don't have to worry about yeah. it for the rest of the day yeah. um so he talks about that's the first time i ever heard someone else talk about is it the Zai? Can you say it one more time? I, I, yeah, the Zinganic, Zinganic yes. effect. Zinganic effect. It's the you're the only person I've heard say the word out loud. I've only ever read it on the on the page in his book. Okay, that that's good, and I love that you're backing it up because when people hear it, they go, "I've had people go, did did I make that up?" And I go, "No, no, no, I'm not smart <laughs> enough to make up stuff like that." So I I do a lot of reading um, in order to ma- to make my talks more. You know, give more meat to it, give value, because that, that's what it's all about. Like this podcast, it's about giving value. Because there's also, have you you probably heard of the Pomodoro technique? Of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where that, like, I speak about that as well. And for the listeners that don't know what it is, it, Pomodoro is tomato because it's named after a tomato timer. So what you do is you have no phone calls, no emails, no distractions. You just concentrate on one thing at hand one thing at that time and you start off with a timer for 20 25 minutes and then when that goes up the alarm goes off you get up you do something physical you go away and then you come back and every fourth time you have a longer break yeah so i i used that technique when i studied for my previous round of finance exams i was doing cfa level one and i just in the beginning i started off with with 25 minute windows but i found that with uh, studying for CFA, I needed to expand those chunks a bit. Mm. So I moved my my windows to – I eventually got to about 50 minutes at a time, and then I'd take a 10-minute yeah. break. And then yeah. I would I would cycle like that because I, I, would, I would get into something, and as I was getting into it, I would have a, a, my 25-minute window would end, and I'd be yeah. like, oh, I, I wish I would just push through. Um, yeah. But starting with 25 minutes was vital yes. because – because if you try to bite off more than you can chew, you're going to fail and then you're going to get a negative feedback loop 
and then you're not going to want to do it again. Yeah. I, I use uh, the example in my talk as well where your brain is a muscle. So think about going to the gym. When you first go to the gym, you don't throw 100 kilos on or 140, 160 kilos on. You start off with a small amount. And then what you did was perfect because I tell people then once you get used to it, your mind is a muscle. So you need to increase the stress to keep getting better. So you go 25, 30, 35. And yeah, I like to stop. And it's at 45, 50 minutes is the maximum because the magic number is once you get to one hour, one hour becomes two, becomes four, and then you're back doing 12, 14 hours without a break. So that's why yeah, I sort of stop it around that 45, 50 minutes. And you also want it to be a mental sprint. It's not yes. just coasting along. It's you get in and you get it done and then you get out. Yeah, I think that that's, for me in the beginning, that was the hardest thing was trying to really shove myself into my work as hard as possible rather mm. than just kind of, as you said, you know, because before that, prior to that, I had just been like, okay, cool. I'm going to block out four hours or three hours to study and then just kind of float through that three hours doing a reading here, <laughs> doing a bit of questions. And it's like, so it's so unproductive because yeah. there's no real purpose. There's no real focus to that session. And when I, when I went to the Pomodoro technique, um, I almost got a little bit, oh, not anxious, but when I, when I knew the time was running out, I'm like, yeah, it's like tricking the brain into thinking that the deadline is coming. Yeah. 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 Cause deadlines work brilliantly um, yeah. for everything. That's why I tell people whether it's in business. Yeah. Like business in fighting in anything like that, you know, especially with fighting, you know, that you have to be on weight by that point. So you do whatever you can in business give yourself deadlines and give yourself penalties if you don't do it. So it doesn't just become something that it'll get done in the future. Give it a definite deadline. Like you said, that's a little trick that you can play on your mind to increase your productivity. Yeah. I think, have you heard of the Parkinson's law? I, I believe that's, that's sort of his belief that the activity will fill the space that you allow, yes. allow yeah. time to do it. So if you give yourself two weeks you'll do that task with a two-week deadline, but you would be able to complete the same task in 10 days if you gave yes. yourself a 10-day window. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah. have heard of that. I just wasn't sure what the name was. Yeah, like we're studying. Yeah, you have two hours to do it. You can do that in an hour. You can do it in 50 minutes. But yeah, your mind fills up that gap. And it's a great thing to use. Yeah, 100%. It's a great thing to use. I wanted to ask you a bit more about the sleep situation. So... For people who will say, okay, David, like, cool, napping is great, but I'm in the office in the, in the middle of the day. I can't, I don't have a place to nap or whatever. Is there, is there something else that I know nothing can replace sleep? I'm, I'm like you. I preach about sleep and mm. uh, some of my family members probably are rolling their eyes at me talking <laughs> about sleep again. <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I'm a massive advocate of sleep. Look. I'm not a saint. I don't always get it right myself. Sometimes I stay up a bit late to do a bit of work. But like you said, it's not only about length. It's about quality as well. And mm -hmm. I use um, I use this whoop band to try and help me track my sleep and my recovery. So yeah. for those people that, that don't have the option to nap, you mentioned hydrating as well. 
What what yeah. what could you recommend to? Because I I think that most people in the Western world, you said they are um, not hydrated enough. I also think that they're not getting enough sleep. I think we have a sleep mm. uh, epi- a pandemic. I think we have a global pandemic oh, of sleep, lack doubt. of sleep. Yeah. Mm. So one one thing that people can do that that is saying in an office, you know that. Because that's that's why I do a lot of my speaking is in the corporate world where people are at desks where they can't get away and go well, get outside go for a walk get some fresh air because you know it's about getting the natural light not all of this fake light because that way we can get our circadian rhythms get them going how they should be so and just getting some fresh air yeah as I said rehydrating go to, if there's a park near your work because yeah I don't know what it's like where you are but in Sydney, there's parks everywhere. You know, I, I sometimes go to a park, I put my headphones on. It may not be the full, like, 24, 25 minutes, but it might be a, a 10 or 12-minute guided meditation. You'll be surprised how much you can get done with that, with your headphones on, and you just zone out for that 10 or, or 12 minutes. And then, yeah, walking to the park, getting some fresh air, hydrating there, eating some nutritious food as well. Don't become reliant upon the high fat, high sugar donuts. Don't become reliant upon, you know, swizzling the coffee as well to get your buzz. That's what so many people do. And they get into this vicious cycle where I even know people where they take, you know, the, the caffeine pills to wake up. And then they're so buzzy that they need to take sleeping tablets to go to sleep. So they're constantly like messing around with everything and wonder why. Those are the people that burn out quickly. But I, speaking to a lot of different companies, I do get bosses come up to me and go, David, I love your talk because my second step is nap. So I go snap, nap, tap, clap, recap. So And they talk about nap. And they go, I can't afford to. And I go, that, that's perfectly fine. We all have choices. But you can have a choice to either have a nap when you've planned it, whether that's closing your office, for half an hour, whether it's having a two or three day weekend or three or four day weekend. So you can plan it or you can have a nap when you're, when you're stressed out, when you're in hospital due to heart attack, ulcers, illnesses that could have been prevented. And then I talk about Sir Winston Churchill and JFK. Uh, there's many more world leaders that are avid nappers, but they're two of the big players where they'd, it would become a non-negotiable with those guys. After with um, Sir Winston Churchill, after either a late lunch or early dinner, he'd get changed into his pajamas and go to sleep. With JFK, was after lunch. It started off because he had a bad back and needed to take pressure off, but he saw the benefits of it. So I go, if these world leaders can have an hour off, why can't you? Why? And what it does, it enables a second and third in charge to step up and gives them that power for that hour, like, you know, half an hour sort of thing. It enables them to step up while you're recharging your batteries so that you can attack the afternoon. There's so many different options. It's just about taking the blinkers off and looking from different perspectives or getting a coach in. That's, um, that's again, another testament to your mindset, I think, it's very interesting to hear you speak because you clearly speak from a growth mindset. You're constantly, when I give pushback to you, you're not like, oh, you know, you're right. You're constantly looking for different answers and different solutions to the problem, which is great. Mm. And I, yeah, I appreciate it. 
Yeah, no, I uh, appreciate it. Because um, I'm just thinking, I'm a teacher, right? I can't sleep at my desk or whatever. But mm. what I do do is every day after lunch, I take a walk outside in the on the playground, getting a bit of sunlight. And it's very interesting. The days where I'm really busy and I can't slip out quickly, well, that's actually probably a bit of a bullshit excuse. I could I could still go outside and get the light. <laughs> but I, Good cat. I... Yeah, I like I, I buy into the fact that oh no, I've got too much work. I need to run back to my desk, and then I find that if I don't do that little walk, just twenty twenty five minutes, mm. I sometimes almost fall asleep as I'm working at my desk. That like post lunch yeah. crash. Um, yeah. But if I walk, then that that never that never is a problem. So mm. you know, like you said, you know, you can either choose to nap now. Or you can have an unproductive afternoon and be basically crashing at your desk or, in the worst case scenario, land in the hospital because you now had a heart attack mm. because you've pushed yourself too hard. Yeah, 100%. And like I said, it all comes down to choices. And like you said, the times when you're busiest, when you go, I can't afford to step away from the computer, that's really the times when you need it more than not because not only does it energize you to enable you to be more productive in the afternoon instead of having the two, three, 4 p.m. slump, but what it does, that little time away, not only does it rejuvenate your body and your mind, it gives you time to come back fresh and maybe see things from a new perspective, get fresh air. As you said, the sun sunlight is a, is a great medicine. I was trying to think of something you brought up earlier that, that really struck a note with me. It was something that, I, that I've also done recently that, that you mentioned, ah, meditation. So mm. I was, I'm a big, big proponent of meditation. I do it in my mornings after I've had my shower, I then meditate. And I'd like to do it at the start of my day because I sometimes find that I don't have time otherwise to, to do it and, and sit in quiet. I like, I prefer to meditate when it's quiet. Mm. I find that if I've got too much distraction and noise around me, it kind of pulls me out of where I want to go when I meditate. So I do mine in the morning. And then I, I've done a bit of research on it. And again, I could be wrong here. Maybe you'll know. If you do, that would be great. I heard somebody say that meditation, the state of your brain, it's even better than sleeping in some instances. Yeah, because yeah, it gets you like the delta um, and alpha wave wave cycle. So I kind of answered my question from what you said, you kind of answered it without me realizing it. You can, if you can't nap, you can try and add in some meditation, like you've like mm. you've said already, because that can that can invigorate the brain. I've sometimes had meditative mm. states and then afterwards been completely revitalized, and, yeah. and it felt yeah, it as if I had long. sleep. No, no. The max I do, the longest I'll do that that, that is productive for me. Is about twenty minutes. I find if I go more than twenty minutes, I start to to kind of lose mm. my way a bit. Yeah, yeah. It, like like with training, it's something that again, it's a skill that you build up over time. I'm I'm no good at doing the silent meditation because there's so many different ones. I put my headphones on and just on YouTube go to guided meditations because for me as well, it it has the same effect. What they're doing, and it's, I also use it at night. Um, you know, if I have so much stuff going through my head, I'll put on some of them. There's one of them, Paul McKenna, where I just love the baseness of his voice. But because you're concentrating on what they're saying, 
it really quietens your mind and then it enables you to get off to sleep quicker and also a better quality of sleep as well without needing yeah. to take tablets, without needing to take all those silly sort of things. Um, so we've spoken a bit about mindset. We've spoken about the burnout. I wonder, as someone who's played team sports, rugby, and someone who's done solo sports like fighting, uh, could you maybe speak a little bit about the benefits or the pros and the cons of team sports, the pros and the cons of the solo sport, what those two different backgrounds have given to you and mm. sort of how you bring that into the workplace? Yeah, for sure. The big thing, like I've already mentioned with, say, playing rugby league is I, I played hooker. I played that role exceptionally well. So I wasn't a halfback. I wasn't a front row. I wasn't a fullback because I, I know my role. Same as in business, uh, an accountant has a different role and responsibility to someone that's front of house, that has a different role and responsibility to marketers, to all, all these different things. So long as you play your position exceptionally well and you play it as part of a team, all going in that one direction, you know, everyone's going to win. So that, that's a big thing that I learned with, with sports and also what you do outside of work as well, like whether you socialize with people, that does have an impact on the work environment. It doesn't mean you have to go out all the time with them, but you, you want to be friends with the people that you work with. Most people work, you know, anywhere from six to 10 hours with the people. I, I don't know what it'd be like. Because I, I put myself in the situation where people I work with, I really enjoy working with them. So I don't know what it'd be like to be with someone for 10 hours a day and not like them. I, I just don't know what that'd be like. I don't put myself in that situation. So that's from a team sport, from an individual sport, especially from wrestling. It's about becoming reliant upon your mind. Like I said, I'm not the biggest cat going around. But I, I've got some tricks. I know that if I'm fighting against a bigger, stronger guy and I break his mind, well, then the everything else follows. Like I used to talk with it with my wrestling coach where he goes, if you have someone driving a Ferrari and they don't know how to control it, it can be the fastest car there, but they're going to lose control when it comes uh, like to the first corner. But yeah, if you get someone driving just a little car, but they've got control over it, they're going to beat that Ferrari. So it all comes down to mindset. And as I said, getting comfortable being uncomfortable because everything in life, you go through uncomfortable stages, the learning stages, that having someone in your face, someone punching you, kicking you, you know, trying to cause damage. You have to stay calm in those situations. And it comes yeah, back to mindset. That's a great differentiation between the two. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, maybe, maybe as we wind down, I have maybe something a little bit from left field. I, I would love to get your perspective on this. So in October of last year, I stopped drinking alcohol just as a one-month challenge. I just said to myself, mm -hmm. okay, cool. I normally do the Sober October challenge, took a month off. And as a result, I just – Got to November, 
was like, okay, cool. I'm not going to drink in November. And it just rolled. I haven't had a drink since. Mm. And I found that my productivity and my competitive advantage has skyrocketed. It's honestly one of the hardest things to put into words that I've ever experienced. Like people that have asked me, well, what it's like, it's almost like, I mean, it sounds a bit cliche, but it's almost like I've been reborn as somebody. It's like I'm someone completely different. It's, yeah. it's really like unshackled my, my productivity. And I know that you, mm. you talk a lot about productivity in the workplace and, and how to be productive. Are you, do you have a, a stance on alcohol or are you kind of like each to his own? Oh, there, there's definite benefits to not having it, but you have to like look at in the workplace. I'm not anyone's parent. Well, I've, sorry, I'm, I'm a parent of my daughter. I'm not a parent of them. <laughs> People have to take responsibility for their own actions. Like you said, you saw your productivity skyrocket. So it's like when people lose weight, when people get fitter, they get stronger and they go to the gym and they see not just their body looking and feeling better, but them performing better at work, them having better clarity of mind. For me, it seems silly when people go back to eating junk food, go back to drinking because then their productivity drops down. Now, I'm not saying that I'm perfect and that I don't have you know, junk food that I, well, I was going to say that I don't drink. I, I drink very, very rarely, but, you know, then it's more special as well when you do do it. So long as, you know, it doesn't become a consistent thing. So long as you, you don't become reliant upon, because people go, oh, I have two or three drinks to get me to sleep. And this is going back to the sleeping factor. When you use alcohol to get to sleep, it's a restless sleep. Your body doesn't recover because it's churning through the alcohol. You probably have to get up and go to the toilet as a result. So you pass out. You don't sleep when you're on alcohol. Yeah. So, and yeah, so if you don't drink very often, if you eat healthy food for the majority of time and you see your performance improve, that yet it seems silly to go back to the way that things were. So many people do. And then they go, I wish I hadn't have got back back on it it will change you can always as i said we have choices you can always change i was i was wondering to ask you about this um you have quite like a straightforward take it or leave it message um and that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how like i operate as well i i'm quite i think i got it from my dad my dad is very like old school and he's like this is how you should do things um it's your choice if you don't if you don't want to do it you don't want to do it but trust me you're going to fail kind of thing yeah um have you have you ever had pushback and people turning around and saying oh your message is like too hardcore or like mm. what about x y and z and and like, how do you deal with those kind of objections yeah i it's funny you you mentioned that because i remember many many years ago when i got my first negative comment when i and i felt like shattered and then, you know, I'll go, man, they're questioning my integrity. They're questioning my methods. They're questioning who I am as a person. And it really hit home. It hit me hard, like a punch in the face. But then talking to people, they go, if you're not making a difference, people don't care. So you only really get haters. You get people pushing back when you're making a difference. So that that's the way I look at it. And yes, there's people that don't agree with me. There's people that go, no, this is right, this is wrong, this is right. 
And like I said, with with all the books that I've got, like just here, and there's another one here, just just the one thing, concentrate on doing the one thing. Um, yeah, it is. And because that, that's what I speak about as well. I speak about raising vitality, whether it's in co- um, in finance, whether it's in security, and any corporate sector, I don't go in and try and pretend that I'm everything to them. I'm the vitality guy. I'm in there to raise their morale, productivity, and therefore profitability of the business. So when people push back, I have full confidence in what I do, in what I say, and in, in, in my techniques. So again, it comes down to choices. You can choose to jump on the bus or you can let it go off without you, but it's your choice. I'm, I'm not their mum. I'm not their dad. You know, I, I can give people tough love, but the majority of people can't handle it. So get on or get off. Yeah. Now, I, I think I'm just thinking about your message. And I mean, look, I'm very removed from university life, but I'm sure you've seen and heard all these stories about how, as they call it, the snowflake, how soft <laughs> people have become. Um, yeah. And so I just I sometimes wonder if like how these kinds of messages resonate with, with that age group, because um, when I was younger, your kind of message would have resonated well with me because I think I was used to it coming down from my dad. I love that whole message of take responsibility, take a burden, carry the burden. That's how you grow as a human being. Um, yeah. But I think there are a lot of people out there that don't, don't like the message. And, 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 mm. and it's, it goes it's weird though, because it goes back to something that I think I believe Ricky Gervais was the original creator of the joke. I know other people have ripped the joke off recently, um, but you know the online space—it's a notice board. You can go and read the notices you want to read without mm. getting offended. I just find it quite strange that people get like completely outraged by a video. Okay, well then why don't you turn yeah. the video off and go watch something else that you agree with? Yeah, I could. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, because Billy Conley did one even before that, where he goes, "There's a knob on the, there's two knobs on the TV." So that's how long ago it was back when there were knobs on the TV. And he said, one of them is you can turn the volume down. Another one is you can change the channel or you can turn it off. Yeah. So and with that, because my message, it may be a little bit too. Well, I, I don't really think it's too hard because I have softened it down a little bit. But when people from college or university go into the real world, how are they expected to cope if they're not given these tools in there? It's not just like, oh, oh, you're, you're fantastic. The reality is that that's like, like I said before, we learn from our mistakes. So long as we get up and keep moving forward. I've, I've done talks where they're bombed, but that's when I've, I learn more about it. And I've done things that have gone really well, and I'm happy with that. But I want to learn more, and you learn learn more from your mistakes. So whether people think it's too hard, too tough, it's reality. Yeah, yes, yeah. Maybe it's not. It's not even that your message is too hard. It's just. It's very. It's just honest and it's authentic, and it's it's not. It's not like a fluffy like you're the best person in the world. And I think that like just. I think more so than ever, that kind of message right now is is what the world needs, in my personal mm. opinion. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm happy to for someone to prove me wrong. <laughs> and um, you know what? I'm happy to share the message as well. I'm happy to share it yeah. far and wide. 
as far as I can get Great. it, the happier I'll be. Great. David, thank you so much for your time. I'm sorry that I had to run off and sorry about the 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 beginning. For those of you that you wouldn't have seen it, I ran a bit late this afternoon. I got stuck in a bit of traffic <laughs> on the way home. Um, and David patiently waited for me. So thank you, David. Um, it was really great, great chatting to you. And um, I'll, I'll stay in touch with you because I'd love to have you back on. Would you like to Would you like to share anything about where people can reach out to you, find you online, or um, read yeah. any of the stuff yeah, so that the you talk place, about? Yeah. So the best place really to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm most active on uh, LinkedIn. So it's David Lindsay. I'm the one throwing a pink soccer ball. I've got a blue shirt on throwing a pink soccer ball. Um, that's where I'm most active. Yes, Facebook, um, Instagram as well. I do bits and pieces on there. Not so much. I've started on TikTok as well. I didn't want to, but I, I have just for <laughs> for exposure. And yeah, it's really about just getting my message as far and wide as I can, spreading the five steps towards improved vitality. I'm looking at doing some overseas tours. Um, so if any companies or people know people that want me to go over there, spread the love, get in contact with me either through LinkedIn or through email through David at David Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y.com.au. And I'm more than happy to be in contact with anyone that way. Awesome. David, I will put your email, if you don't mind, I'll put your email in the show notes so okay. people can, can contact you there and I'll put up your your LinkedIn profile as well so people can jump in straight from there. Beautiful. As we come to the end of this episode of Speaking to Stacey, I want to say a big thanks for listening all the way through. I hope that you have found some valuable insights from my conversation with David. Before you go, I have a favor to ask. Please remember to leave a rating and a review. I'm doing a draw for a free 12-week training program for those of you who do so. Just a friendly reminder that this is the final episode of Speaking to Stacey. I'm taking a short hiatus to prepare for the launch of my new podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening in today and I look forward to sharing the new show with you in the future. Until then, keep well.